All right, well, thank you for the kind introduction, and uh, thanks for inviting us uh, to the Incorsi Invet. Uh, I've been involved with Incorsi on the, on the sideline now for, for two years or so, and when you have the conference in Somerset West, I had the privilege of reviewing some of the papers, etc. So uh, I'll get to a little bit in a moment, uh, systems engineering and how, in some ways, it ties in with our own act activities. Um, the paper that, that, that we're going to present now, we presented at the System Dynamics Conference last month uh, while you were in Seattle, we were in Boston. So uh, I'll get a little bit into, into the background of, 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 of what it's all, all about. I just need to acknowledge some of, or introduce you to some of the institutions. Um, so Josephine Musangu is sitting over there and we've been doing research to together. She is based in the School of Public Leadership and how that works at Stellenbosch University, uh, the, Stan the Sustainable Development Program, the Postgraduate Sustainable Development Program uh, sits in, in SPL. Uh, Stellenbosch has a very strong, bit of a flavor of the month, I guess, but a transdisciplinary focus on, uh, on real-world problems because we acknowledge no single discipline is, is, is going to do it. And a lot of this, this research effort uh, stems uh, from that. Uh, as Paul said, I mean, we're, this is also uh, a little bit of introduction around our System Dynamics chapter. The System Dynamics Society has been around now also more or less at the same time, uh, early 90s, but, uh, and it's quite, quite large. I think the Boston Conference, we, we were about 400 uh, participants. But the South Africa chapter is actually uh, quite new. And I if I listen to your mission and so on, yeah, I mean, for us, it's also to develop knowledge in this area and to inter facilitate interchange of learning, research, and scholarship. And obviously, we want to develop uh, capacity development uh, capabilities around this. Uh, we're busy writing up a paper of the history of system dynamics, and it's not new in South Africa, although the chapter has only been around since last year. Uh, system dynamics actually has a very rich history going back to the 70s and 80s uh, in South Africa. Unfortunately, some of that capacity and knowledge uh, was, was lost. Uh, just the names of, of, of the main people involved there. Uh, uh, at this point in time, I'm heading it up. Nalini Pillay uh, is with ESCOM. ESCOM has, a, has uh, established the System Dynamics uh, uh, Research Group, uh, looking very much more on the technical side of things. Josephine is our organizing secretary. And there's maybe some names that you might know. There's system engineers, rule of law, Andres Buerta, and so on, that are uh, that are involved. And you can cruise over to to our website to to see what we what we are uh, all about. Um, the different people that are in the system dynamics. If you go to the conference now, uh, yes, there are some engineering orientated, but they have a whole track on psychology, uh, a whole track on on energy. So. The system dynamics approach is used in vast different uh, disciplines. Uh, but for this paper th this evening, where we come from, I thought that let me spend about five, five minutes or so uh, because we don't directly come from a technical uh, perspective where, where you might be coming from. So for us, it's, it's a, trying to understand what the future might, how the future might actually unfold, and to do that, uh, one needs to look at, at the past and the present. And this is from 
the diagram from Anton Boerta, and he's also sister, uh, quite a big systems thinker in the, in the South African community, some of you might know him. And he says that if we want to understand that future and look at the past and the present and learn from that, there's basically three elements in the system that we need to understand, uh, events, behavior, and technology. Okay. Uh, and events that, we, that, we, that sort of triggers our current research efforts uh, is around what is called uh, KPMG, uh, released a report back in 2010 and then later in 2012 that they call expect the unexpected. Uh, and there's different terms, also maybe flavors of the month and so on, that are sort of surfacing around the whole sustainability uh, agenda. But they're talking about mega forces, they're talking about polycrises, because we have multiple crises that are unfolding at the same time in the world that we need to address. Uh, certainly, whether you believe in climate change or not, and that's something for more wine drinking and so on <laughs> later, um, certainly it's, it's been a driver uh, in terms of changing our behaviors. And, we see, and, and it's an interesting place to start because then we, if you start focusing on climate change, you're focusing on the interaction between energy, with water, materials, uh, population growth, urbanization, all of, the, all of these aspects. And it's interesting for me that, uh, that, that uh, an organization like KPMG will highlight that if you want to do business into the future, you need to understand these mega forces and how you fit into that larger system. All right, and, they, and this is where the whole nexus aspect, it started with the water energy nexus, which I don't need to remind you of in, in, in South Africa. It's, it's, a, it's a real uh, issue for us. But it's now grown into uh, what is now called the water energy food nexus. So if we want to address any of those problems, we're going to have to address all of them simultaneously. And this is what is called the po uh, policy crisis, or polycrisis rather. And there's all kinds of suite of social issues that go hand in hand with that. All right, the poverty, radiation, inequality. Uh, you might know the Millennium Development Goals. Well, now they're all working on the Sustainable Development Goals uh, globally that will address not only developing countries, but also developed countries. Uh, countries. But this whole thing about interconnectedness and system thinking is now surfaced quite mainstream. All right. And this is where one of the schematics out of the KPMG report. It's also interesting how they, they've put a twist onto, onto it because footprint uh, nexus and erosion nexus is what we understand. You, you, uh, mankind, business, industry, uh, and, and the impact they might have. But the interesting twist they put onto that one is innovation nexus. So you can look at all these and just throw your hands up in the air and say, well, we're doomed and, you know. Uh, or you can look at it as opportunities. Okay, so there's opportunity for innovation. Uh, and they will, okay, like, uh, uh, like we said, I'm with, I'm with the Renewable Energy Center, so we see opportunities there, but there's smart cities and, and all, all kinds of other aspects. So these are all events. Um, also, there's understanding that we can't look at things in uh, separation and rethinking the role of technology is sort of embedded uh, within our institutions, economy, and society, and ultimately uh, nature. So what, how has that sort of spilled over? I mean, so what's uh, in terms of behavior? So if we start to look at the global scale, uh, some of you might know the United Nations uh, Framework Convention on Climate Change. I mean, they've had... Last year, they had quite a big uh, conference looking at investment opportunities uh, around climate change. Uh, linked to that, the whole green economy term has now really uh, exploded. Uh, and the United Nations Environmental Program is driving it, but it's sort of 
spinning off into industrial development organization, is spinning off into uh, some of the economic development, clean fund, all of these kind of aspects. And what, is all, what they're calling for is that we need to think about economic growth uh, from a decoupling perspective. Okay, what, what I mean by decoupling is that obviously we want growth, and we can argue whether GDP growth is equal to human well-being improving. That's, uh, that's a big debate that's, that's ongoing at the moment. Uh, one of our colleagues at the University of Pretoria says GDP stands for gross domestic problem. <laughs> All right, so, because you're focusing on the wrong things. But I won't get you into that debate. That's the entire other debate. But the point is we want improved human well-being, but we want to have it at less resource consumption, uh, an absolute imp uh, uh, decoupling in terms of environmental impact going into the future. Okay, so that was events and behaviors, and what's spinning out of that is now uh, the implications for technology. I'm just using energy here as an example because I play around with it, but uh, water, waste, all of these aspects you, 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 you can throw in there. Uh, the recognition that th these technologies will now be required. Not one single technology, but a suite of these technologies will be required in order to, in this graph, so this is the, the, the widget pie graph in terms of we need to peak uh, carbon emissions, as we, uh, as we all know, and how are we going to do it with a suite of different technologies. And it's interesting if, you, if you're in that, interested in that space, uh, the International Energy Agency brings out this energy technology perspective on the technologies themselves, and they bring out the World Energy Outlook, uh, which is more policy orientated, but it's interesting in terms of how it informs policy and decision makers. Uh, also, I won't go into that in detail, but at least in the last two years, they've recognized, they don't call it peak oil, uh, but there is a limit to that, that, that kind of resource. And how are we going to solve that? All right, and you can go into, and I'm not going to go into to, to, uh, technologies debate about how and how much they're going to contribute. Uh, but certainly, uh, if, if, you, if you look at uh, some of this, uh, how this space has unfolded, uh, if you just look at renewable energy uh, as an example, it's one of the, and, and this is also figures coming out of the United States, clean technology and so on is the one uh, space that was not really influenced by the financial crisis. I mean, it's just grown. Okay. So this is all on a, on a global scale. Step back into, into the South Africa, right, into, in our South African context. In terms of events again, if we start at the top of the tri triangle, uh, this is the vulnerability atlas that was uh, released a couple of years ago, and I'm busy re uh, 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 revising it. Uh, so clearly, we are a society that's quite vulnerable uh, to, to change in the, in the climate change uh, terminology they talk about adaptation. Okay, so, I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on mitigation to bring down our carbon emissions, but there's a recognition that the shit is going to hit the fan in some way. Right, and how are we going to adapt to that as a, as a society? Uh, I only had the 2013 rankings. This is one of the leading business schools in Switzerland that every year ranks uh, the competitiveness of countries. Okay, and we've been slipping. We're sitting now there at number 53. Every year we, we're going down the, the, the ranks. So clearly the competitiveness of our economy uh, is at stake. Okay, and they have all, all kinds of criteria of how they actually uh, measure that, and we can go in endless debates about why we say we're going down the ranks. 
Uh, but that's a concern. Okay, if we want to understand that we, we want to be a global player. So what's the behavior been? Uh, so the behavior is from our uh, policy makers and, and so on has been a whole suite of different uh, policies. Uh, and I can mention a couple of them. We are on the seventh version of the Industrial Policy Action Plan, if I can remember correctly. Uh, there's the new growth path. Even the National Development Plan uh, speaks to the green economy and what the green economy might entail and what opportunities it might bring, uh, bring about. Interestingly enough, back in 2010, when we had our first summit around the green economy, the criticism around the start of the summit was that industry was not explicitly uh, invited or, or participated explicitly, but at the very least you had uh, a number of national departments actually collectively working together around this. So it's a recognition, it's not only an environmental affairs issue, it's an economic development issue, it's a science and technology issue, uh, and it's a trade and industry issue. Okay, because, yeah, and I'll get to some of those examples in the, uh, later on. And all of that's now spilling, spilling down. Uh, at the moment at the university, we're working on KZN, uh, Western Cape uh, government, Gauteng government, each provincial government, and then even going down into cities, Tuanes, Cape Town, all of them are working on strategies around green economy and how can I get a piece of that slide, of the pie. Um, and linking to the National Development Plan, uh, so back in 2012, Josephine and I, we were tasked to work with the United Nations and we developed a model uh, to understand this green economy uh, in South Africa. It's based on a global green economy model uh, that was developed uh, primarily by the Millennium Institute uh, and released in 2010 and I've subsequently done it for, for a number of, of, of countries yeah, to understand what the green economy means um, in, in different countries. So, and that's been one of the behaviors is to try and understand it and then that behavior linked to technology, and I'm just using uh, renewable energy here as an example. Uh, and our renewable and our government loves acronyms. Uh, so renewable energy independent power producer procurement program. <laughs> so if you, if you if you look at it, it's 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 hailed as a global benchmark of success uh, in, ter in terms of driving down the prices on the on the left hand side uh, and comparing that to uh, what ESCOM estimated here in 2012, uh, what the Renewable Energy Program would cost in, in, in red and what it is in real terms. Okay, so a big driver uh, to get some of these technologies out, and maybe even some of you watched on Sunday, Evening Carte Blanche, the whole thing on, on concentrated solar power. Why do I mention concentrated solar power just very briefly? I mean, uh, it's, not about, it's not only about solving our own electricity crisis. I mean, this is about going back to trade in industry. It's about establishing a whole new industry uh, for exporting some of the technology. Okay, and going back to modeling, to understand these different technologies and what they might mean, uh, this is some modeling that, that was done as part of a report that was released in, uh, at the end of April. Uh, this one looking at our integrated resource plan and how the mix of technologies uh, might actually work. Uh, the WWF has its own uh, scenarios uh, obviously, they, they're trying to move away from nuclear. I'm not going to get into that debate. 
but and then how could technologies actually substitute one another? Important why I mention this. This kind of modeling at the moment is very tends to be quite static. This was the first time that we we looked at spatial and temporal, at least uh, to to some extent. But it's just looking at optimizing cost and and, and carbon emissions of the the electricity system. Okay. So why system dynamics as opposed to these kind of modeling efforts? Because if we want to understand what the implications are going to be of these different technologies in the green economy space and how the green economy unfolds, uh, we need to understand how dynamically those technologies, again, if you recall the picture, technologies embedded into institutions, economy, and society, and how these different aspects of society and e economy actually uh, interplay uh, with these technologies and developments. System dynamics, I mean, there are different kind of modeling techniques, and we all know pros and cons, uh, uh, pros and cons with them. Uh, system dynamics, at least to some extent, and right at the end I'll, I'll mention some of the challenges, I think, tries to be reasonably transparent and is trying to use knowledge of other type of analytical te techniques. Uh, it's not a, st a static optimization approach. Okay? You simply try to understand how trends would occur into the future. And at the, at the moment, at, at, uh, the Stellenbosch University, uh, Josephine is more involved with that, uh, <coughs> establishing a center for complex systems in transition. So this is one, one of those techniques to try and at least unpack uh, complexity and how these different aspects of uh, sustainability interplay. We also find it useful because there's a sectoral focus. I'll get to that in a moment. Okay, why the Western Cape? Because we did this uh, at the national level, but why is it sort of transpired down in, in, into the Western Cape province? Well, you we all know that we have, at least the government is, uh, has this 110% uh, green uh, initiatives. So there is a, there is a drive from, from government to, to, to get some kind of transition going in, in, the, in the province. Uh, it's seen as one of the key pathways to not only environmental sustainability, but it's resource efficient, low carbon. Uh, put in brackets there, and just uh, economy. So we can't just benefit the, the first economy. We're going to, and some of the work that <coughs> Josephine and Co are working on is is how the second economy uh, actually plays a part. Uh, the province has identified a, a number of sectors, okay, that would uh, would be key to get this transition going, and and we focused on some of those sectors, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but yeah, to achieve that integration, we're going to need some. Transdisciplinarity, trans transdisciplinarity, and integrated ap approaches. So that's where that's really the birth birthplace of uh, Wakajim, Western Cape Green Economy model. Uh, and yeah, it focuses on investments. So what the Western Cape government is interested in is if we're going to invest into the green economy. And this is what basically what it's all about. Uh, and we want to transition to the green economy. What's it going to cost us? It's all, it's all nice to say we're going to be green. Okay, but you know, what is it really going to cost uh, the economy? And to, uh, to do that, yes, again, we need to understand how, uh, what's the relationship between different issues. Uh, as an example, population. And we have a massive population growth uh, uh, in, in the Western Cape. Uh, urbanization, health, education, all of these things are important if you want to understand uh, if you want to transition into, into a new kind of uh, economy, apart from just the investment them, themselves. 
So I'm getting a little bit into, into the details, but I decided to this evening, I'm not going to get into the real hardcore. If we want to get into, uh, into that, I've, I've passed on to, to Paul, and he's <laughs> welcome to circulate it with the, the paper that this is all based on, so you can get a little bit of uh, the details behind it. But yeah, I mean, there's a number of, of modules and what we call development spheres. I mean, that's just a way to structure uh, the, the modules. But again, population, education, health, employment, those are, are key. Uh, we also need to understand public infrastructure, okay, and we'll get to that in a moment because uh, that kind of infrastructure is very important if you want that kind of switch. Uh, obviously, we need to look at emissions and water and land and different kind of energy options. And then, yeah, what's, what's the GDP? We were specifically the Western Cape because of our agriculture sector being so important. We were looking at yield and, and production uh, rates as well to model that. This is what we call a spaghetti diagram. So, typical diagram that's thrown on the slide and nobody can understand and read it. But anyway, so this is just a call, what we call a causal loop diagram to understand feedback loops uh, within the system, within the endogenous variables within the system. Uh, and then we can look at how exogenous variables play in on the system and how that system then changes with time. Uh, obviously, there are reinforcing loops and there, there are balancing loops. Balancing, obviously trying to bring the system into equilibrium, reinforcing to, to have a runaway. And these things all interplay on one another. Uh, and the colors there linked to the spheres, whether it's more social, whether it's more economic, and so on. Based on the causal loop, loop diagram, you're going to a stocks and flow analysis, and obviously the normal modeling process of validation and so on. What I thought here is maybe just highlight some of the key things that sort of come out and then one can actually debate you know, whether, whether these things make, make sense. Um, one of our students looked at uh, the infrastructure uh, specifically and transportation infrastructure uh, to be more specific. And they had a couple of investment scenarios and where we just invest uh, what is currently in the, uh, the province's government documentation in terms of what we call business as usual, or do we go more aggressively into public passenger transport, more aggressively into freight uh, rail systems, because that's a big issue for, for the Western Cape at the moment, we're just moving freight through the province, mostly on roads. All right, or do we invest in both of those, and what the implications would be of, uh, of that? Uh, for the modeling, we we took a 40-year perspective. We, we took it from 2001 because we had data uh, over the last 10 uh, or one, one and a half decade, which we can verify and validate some of the, some of the modeling outputs. Uh, again, I'm just showing some of the key ones here, and no surprise. I mean, if you invest in the different scenarios, your carbon emissions grow down. Okay, but importantly, they, they never peak. They still grow. Okay, so that, that's, there's still a concern there. But if you invest more into your passenger freight transport, you at least get into some form of, uh, of plateauing out. Um, also, fuel demand, but there you have to see the first problem uh, in modeling. Okay, and I'll get to that in a moment. There is real data. So there's been a massive increase in terms of what previous analysis has shown. Uh, but at least, okay, we're going to reduce our our demand, and keep that in mind because we're going to talk about biofuels uh, later on uh, as, uh, as well. 
All right, but then in terms of investment, if you look at business as usual, the blue there, uh, if you want to get into uh, investing quite heavily in, in, into passenger and freight train transport, you can see within the next four decades, uh, let's call it three decades, all right, you need, you're going to have at least a 50% additional investment. So with this kind, of, this kind of modeling technique, we're not providing the answer. This is what you need to do. We're just providing information to the decision maker. Okay, so now it's a trade-off uh, for, for the decision maker. This is what's going to cost the taxpayer, and this is what we can achieve. <coughs> Agriculture, as I said, is quite, quite important. Uh, there I'll just show one of the, one of the stock and flow diagrams that follows on the, the causal loop diagrams. In terms of what are the investment scenarios that we looked at here, well, what the Western Cape is primarily looking at is uh, organic, uh, organic farming and also what we call uh, conservation farming. And what we've done in the different scenarios here, apart from the business as usual, uh, we've looked at conservative versus very pessimistic uh, assumptions around what the, the yields would be uh, and how much area would be required, etc. All right, and first thing you also see that out of this kind of exercise, I mean, you're going to invest here, but what is the real benefit that you get out of it? Sometimes you don't even have to go into this complicated modeling. I mean, you can just go and ask the farmers. They tell you you're nuts. You know, I mean, the, the amount of money that actually goes into and, and what you improve, this is in terms of the, the, the area of land. And by the way, if you look at some of the pessimistic uh, in terms of yields, if you go to organic route, you're actually going to need more land uh, than, than the business as usual. Uh, in terms of your production em emissions, yeah, they tend to go down, not necessarily that much. But again, look at your investments. Right? Massive uh, uh, additional investment is required if you want to go this green economy route. So again, we're sitting with a bit of a tra trade-off there. Biofuels was something which we specifically looked at because that's what the, uh, the Western Cape government is, is, is looking at, at, at driving. Obviously, uh, you, you all probably know that we are looking at a blend uh, in our normal fuel. Uh, at the moment, apart from the, the, the one refinery we have here, we're quite dependent on the rest of the country to import it. So we looked at biofuel production, uh, in, in specifically bioethanol. It's all kinds of studies that our process engineering uh, colleagues have done, uh, looking at biodiesel versus bioethanol. Uh, it doesn't look like biodiesel is going to fly. Uh, bioethanol seems to be the way to go. Uh, triticale, using triticale as feedstock, using uh, marginal agricultural land that's actually available, and producing about 160 million liters uh, per annum. So this is slightly different than the other two models where that was, I would virtually say, macroeconomic in nature. Here we looked at project uh, specifically and technology specifically, and we looked at production scenarios, if I can put it that way, in, in, in the Western Cape government context. Uh, if we're going to blend and we don't produce it locally, we're going to have to import it. Okay, there's, a there's a project that's planned and reasonably advanced plan planned in the free state that would actually uh, do that. Uh, versus we start looking at uh, different local production uh, uh, scenarios uh, and specifically around process heat that we either use additional biomass or we uh, 
use coal or we, we do combined heat and power uh, to drive up the efficiency of the process. So we, did, yeah, we looked at more, I would virtually say, technology uh, scenarios. Key issue, obviously, without going into it, but you might have seen in engineering news uh, a week or so. So back, I mean, this whole debate around subsidy of, 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 of biofuels is, 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 is an issue that they're still struggling with. And a big, a big thing is the feedstock uh, price uh, sensitivity of, of, of your model or for your model. So we looked at, uh, at, at a bit of a sensitivity analysis around that. And also, uh, yeah, it's the supply and demand uh, curves going forward. Okay, we looked at carbon emissions. I mean, you get a bit of a spike while you're ramping up your, 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 your production. Uh, the planning is to, by 2018 to have such a facility going. And then gradually, you're actually reducing your carbon emissions over the next three, three decades. Okay, but if you look at your IRRs, okay, and in terms of carbon emissions and so on, from a green perspective, going to combine heat and power with biomass as, as additional uh, fuel is the best, okay, from that kind of perspective. But if you look at your IRRs, very low. Okay, looking at typically 12, 40%, which is not really that attractive. And this really highlighted one of the key challenges with, uh, uh, with biofuels. And we played around with a bit of uh, subsidy levels and schemes to, to, to get that kind of technology going. Excuse me. <coughs> All right, so the overall conclusion from this kind of modeling effort, I mean, it's useful because we see trends and we can see, uh, we understand how different interventions would influence those trends. Uh, a key issue always is the absolute numbers that might be questioned. Uh, also, the thing about modeling always, I mean, this is black box syndrome that we have a couple of monitors that's playing around with the model and we're throwing out results and people don't necessarily understand, your stakeholders don't necessarily understand. This is particularly so with this kind of exercise uh, where you're not necessarily developing the model uh, in collaboration with your stakeholders. So that's quite a key challenge. And as I mentioned, that's the paper that's available uh, that we presented uh, uh, last month that Paul can circulate. And then I just want to end off with some of the challenges uh, with this kind of, obviously there's always technical issues and uh, to get the models right. But a key issue in South Africa that we're struggling with, with any of this kind of modeling efforts is actually data. Okay, getting consistent data across all the different sectors uh, going back at, at least 10, 10 years, it's a major uh, a problem. Uh, resources, I mean, you can't do everything at, at, at once, so you need to prioritize a little bit about which sectors you're going to go for. We're struggling, even though the Western Cape says they want the screened economy transition, they can't give us clear targets of what they want to achieve. So that, that's been quite difficult. Uh, and the scenarios have been quite uh, complicated that we need to consider. So that's very much in brief. Okay? If you guys are uh, interested in this type of approach, while you're joining in Causa, you can also join uh, the System Dynamics uh, chapter. Thank you very much for the time. I think one of the lost straws. I don't know. What is I? Internal, uh, internal rate of return. 
And so, so you, I mean, you ran quite quick through, through all the, uh, the, the, the results. But maybe, in your opinion, what, what do you think is the, would be the conclusion? Yeah. Well, one of, the, one of the things that I think that we're still struggling with is to quantify the real value. We haven't taken that wide enough, in my, in, in my opinion. So, as an example, go back to the renewable energy space. So, Atlantis and so on, we are drawing a lot more investment in terms of setting up local manufacturing and so on, that in, in the wake of other manufacturing closing down in, in, the, in the province. And we haven't really put an accurate value on what that means for the province. Um, because if I just had to look at this, then I say the investment is too huge in terms of what the real green perspectives are. So we actually need to understand a real economic development value that goes beyond GDP. Uh, and yeah, so that's work ongoing. Um, do you think that we're asking the right questions? Elaborate, because I think it's a key issue. <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. Your stakeholder could say, well, one do X, X thing, and then, you know, you tend to respond on that, but I just wonder sometimes whether, we, whether we're asking the right questions. Job creation. You know, uh, that, that's just, uh, yeah. Is that the real issue, or is it actually something else, you know? I didn't show it, but for instance, employment is one of the key uh, indicators. Um, that we've also mapped out. Uh, but again, difficult to find numbers to justify, and usually your employment is direct employment associated with very specific developments. I'll take the renewable energy as, uh, again as an example. Um, it's quite incredible how few jobs renewable energy creates, All right, directly. If you start manufacturing wind turbines and blades and whatever, then there is additional spin-off. And especially if you go to small-scale renewable energy and you have all kinds of people that have to install and maintain stuff, that, Germany has shown that's where the big, that's where the real benefit is from what people would say socioeconomic issues are much more important than carbon emissions. Uh, but we have no way of, we don't, our data is very poor. I mentioned... Uh, the, the work that's ongoing on, in terms of your, your second economy and what additional spin-offs and benefits they have, we haven't even been able to quantify that as well. But you're right. I mean, and usually what we do is when we, we, we go through this as setting up the system and understanding, and we did this with the South African green economy model, is to have a stakeholder engagement for people to define what is important to them in order to, uh, to formulate what's... What, this was a straight... Western Cape government, 100% green, how much money is going to cost us? And then there's a bit of a side spin like jobs and so on uh, that came into the analysis as well. Another way of looking at maybe is just looking at other provinces or countries or sectors in the world, you know, like they, the twin cities and so on. Did they base this on any other place in the world that they got this idea from or is it, know, is it something that you can learn from other places? That yeah, no, well... One has to define what is a success story. But yeah, I mean, it's like I said, what's, what's happened globally, it sort of started at the global level and spinned down to cities. And there's a lot of emphasis now on cities and how cities grow. And Josephine, I mean, now she's working with the MIT crowd to understand that uh, a lot more. And 
um, metabolic flows and, and flows with the inner cities and what the implications uh, are and so on. Uh, I don't know if I, c I could call it a success story. I don't know, Josephine. I mean, you, you, guys, you guys have looked at different cities, um, especially developing countries. I've yet to see something that would, I would say is a raving success. Uh, but it's based on work that's going on elsewhere as well. some sense as to what sort of annual reduction. I know the, the greenhouse effect and ozone, there was, there was analysis done there to say yeah. that the, the, the world has to reduce consumption emissions by, by so much so that the ozone effect. Now that sort of, that sort of thing. So, yeah, so that, that is, a big, is a big issue and I'm just wondering how you help them with that in particular. Yeah, so I mean, some of the, some of the I mean you mentioned ozone and so on, that's scientifically based like the carbon emissions number or less, that, you know, to assist you to say, okay, well, we need to reach a certain limit in order to achieve certain outcomes. Other, others are much more difficult to, to, to establish. So, whereas in, in this case, the Western Cape government said, we have certain progressive targets that's based on, it's just political targets. What's it going to cost? In the case of the South African green economy model, it, we did the modeling differently. We said, what are you willing to to invest, all right, in terms of percentage of GDP, to channel that into different uh, developments or initiatives, rather. 
and then to see what does that really mean. So I can tell you in the South African green economy model, if they're investing 2% of the GDP into, into green economy stuff, there's no way they will reach the targets in a national development plan, as an example, in terms of carbon emissions and so on. So then at least you can inform the decision maker that it's a bit of a, a two-play. This is what you more or less want to get. This is what you want to invest. How far are you off the mark? Yeah, so that's the way that we've, we've, we've done it in that case. At what unit of agency is, um, I'm talking about either the individual, company, province, government, where would change be when you look back into history, not projecting into the future, where would change be the most effective? Where would people create the greatest <coughs> amount of change? And the reason why I'm asking the question mm. is you had a graph that had some history, and then at some point, I think it was 2004, that some things happened, and then you said, oh, and this was what was predicted, and it was completely off target. So, so it's good that we have agency at government level, and at organizational level, and at individual level. But when change happens, where is what hmm. is being predicted for the next year being the most accurate? Yeah, so I mean, and it depends, it depends on what you look at, but I'll use an example in, in the city of Cape Town. So I mean, a couple of years back, we had water restrictions. Okay? So I mean, that, then your unit of analysis goes back to, down to the household. Right? And then uh, we had rains, and the, the water restrictions were lifted. But the water demand did not go up. So you already had embedded behavioral change. And the price was also a bit of an issue. But for, for me, it's, that's ultimately where the change needs to occur. And I'd say a familial, sort of close connected level of agency of, 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 of action. Yeah. Like closer to the individual as opposed to... So policy making may be, it may be informative and enriching in a way, but, but there's, there's very little real power to change there unless it's not filtered down. And they still communicate or understood and agreed upon down. Yeah, no, no I agree totally. And uh, from a policy-making space in South Africa, this is where the challenge also lies. Because, I mean, somebody like a, a provincial government, their level of influence is not that great. Your, your municipality is much better. So the, the, one, the one research effort we're busy now with is to bring system thinking into decision-making at municipal level. Because they have greater influence on the individual than the provincial government or and even the national government. I mean, national government, yes, they have influence, they set greater policies and trends, but really it's the municipality that's going to, do, going to drive a lot of that change. And there we're really struggling institutionally because there's a big resistance to just sticking to the MFMA and doing the, uh, how we've done things in the past. Yeah. Nothing else? Mm. Sorry. No comment on a question. Um, I'm heavily involved with the renewable space on the economic development side, so I'm very familiar with the issues around it. And something that you mentioned is, is very true, namely that over time the uh, shift has gone from international guys importing their materials to a more of a local content perspective. And I'm not sure if you guys brought this into your modeling, but what I also see is, is that there's, a, there's a, a force that goes against it, which is the um, Empowerment requirements, especially with the new codes that's come out, the the way that it's been structured is actually dampening the possibility to develop industry that will feed into this new movement, which could offset the investment. 
because yeah. they all become um, taxpayers at the end of the day. So, is there any assumptions that you guys make? Actually, no, it's turning into a question. <laughs> is there any assumptions that you guys made to understand the effect of the policy in this environment that works against the economic growth? Yeah. We did not do that at, at, at this stage, but I agree, that's a major issue. Um, and the, the, the work we recently did for, for KZN is around industrial policy, I mean, to, to enable uh, uh, locals. I mean, at the moment, it's, it's a while. I can go into details of things like solar water heating, where we just killed uh, the local manufacturing industry in the last 10 years. Uh, and trying to get some of that learning and into the, 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 the reprogram. Uh, a couple of months back in the, in the Parliamentary Energy c c Committee, that was just one of the big topics of debate. So we're still struggling with that one. But yeah, we didn't bring that into the model. I think we can carry on outside. Um, there's, there's more wine to be had. And there's, I think, quite a bit more discussion. And um, yeah, perhaps open-ended question in my mind is system dynamics is essentially a, a, a rational model, but I think to sell it to to a less than rational entity becomes quite a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> We can get into that and much more. <laughs> Great. Alan, thank you very much. Um, thank you, Paul. Something great. Great. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you.